Death Holler. The devil's in the details. think it's time now for attack of the bees what is that what is that what is it oh no not the bees not the bees ah! oh, my eyes. so this movie is uh, that we're talking this episode is the cleansing hour it was the 2019 film uh it aired on shutter and i'm pretty happy with shutter i gotta say i've watched a couple of bad films one was with Julian uh, Richings, I believe is his name, who played Death in uh, Supernatural. That was kind of a stinker. I think the movie was called uh, Something About Jackson or something. I did not care for it. I'm sorry. I know some people have rated it pretty high. But for the most part, I've watched a lot of good movies on this. And this one that I'm talking about today is actually really good. Um, it stars Ryan Guzman. I guess or I, I would imagine that's how you say his last name. I don't really know him from anything. He was in the Step Up movies and then uh, in the movie Everybody Wants Some um, before this. He plays Father Max. If you can imagine a priest version of Zach Bagans uh, from uh, Ghost Adventures, you know, kind of a douchebag that goes around provoking stuff, uh, you know, uh, in order to get clicks or views. That's kind of what this guy does. But he's kind of a huckster because he don't really, I mean, it's all made up. You know, it's just to get, because his, his whole obsession in life is to get a blue check mark. That's that's all he cares about. You know, he's got to get that blue yeah. check mark on social media. He wants to be legit. Oh, my God. He uh, wants to be known. Yeah. And and weird thing is he kind of looks like white Jesus. So there's that. <laughs> you know, all, you know the ones that you always see, you know, the ripped white Jesus that's got, you know, that everybody's like, oh, my God, you know, he's he, you know, so handsome. This guy kind of looks like him. Okay. Uh, there's Alex Angelis. Uh, she plays Lane in the movie. Uh, she plays the girlfriend slash fiance of one of the main characters. And she also plays the bad guy in the movie. And I'll get to that in a minute. Ooh. She was the only thing I ever saw that she was in prior to this was the Magnificent Seven, the remake with uh, Chris Pratt, I believe, was in that one. And. Uh, Kyle Gallner, who plays Drew, he, he's best friends to Max, uh, been that way since they were in Catholic school, and he's the fiancé to Lane, and kind of his plot in the movie is he's too loyal to Father Max, like he sticks with him even though he shouldn't, and that's a big kind of fight between him and his, his fiancé Lane. But this guy's been in a ton of stuff. He's been in Veronica Mars. He was in Smallville. And as far as horror movies goes, he was in the Haunting in Connecticut movie. He was in Jennifer's Ooh. Body. Uh, independent film called Ghost of War. He was in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, boo. <laughs> and he apparently likes a lot of movies that start with the title Red because he was in Red State, which is the horror movie from uh, Kevin Smith. He was in Red Eye, which is another horror movie. And then he was in a movie just called Red, which was a 2008 film about, with a plot that's very similar to John Wick. Uh, basically, some guy loses his dog. I think it's the guy who plays the 
the in Super Troopers, he plays the captain that they're all under O'Hagan or whatever his name is. Um, and then he he loses like an a pet, and then he goes on a rampage. So it's very similar to to John Wick without being John Wick. And then well, don't fuck with the doggos. Exactly. And funny enough, he's going to be in the new Scream movie that comes out next year. So you'll get to see Kyle Gallner in, in that whenever it comes up. Basically, the plot of the movie is is that Father Max, like I said, is kind of this douchebag, Zach Bagans type, that goes around performing these exorcisms and quotation marks uh, for his YouTube-like videos that he does, and he's trying to get the most clicks that he can. And he's got Drew as his best friend, who's kind of the producer of the show and actually has some knowledge, uh, you know, about, like, demonic stuff. He's actually making, like, this online uh, database about how to you know, cast out certain demons. It's kind of a neat little bit of lore they throw into the movies. Like he's, or into the movie, he's basically, he's taking these old Catholic texts and like he's cross-referencing, like, you know, if if there's a name, their whole thing is they got to get the name of the demon, which, you know, kind of, you know, adds up to, you know, uh, what you kind of see in exorcism, at least in a movie sense. And once they know the name of it, then they know what ritual to perform. And he's kind of like trying to make a database of all the rituals so they can actually, you know, fight these things, even though it's kind of fake. But it's a good thing he does it because it turns out that Father Max, uh, being the douchebag he is and kind of just using his fame to sleep with women on the side, even though he's supposedly a priest, (laughs) provokes a real demon to appear. And it happens to be the night that Lane, or the person who was supposed to show up to be the, the damsel in distress, if you will, couldn't make it. Actually, they were attacked by the demon prior to that, and they're, they're missing. Father Max doesn't know that. And so they have to get uh, Lane to, to be a sub-in because she's like an aspiring actress anyway. So they're like, okay, you can do this. You know, you've got the acting chops to pull this off. But she actually gets possessed. And so the whole movie is kind of her with a demonic entity inside of her uh, basically forcing or forcing Father Max to do all these, you know, uh, humiliating, uh, self-inflicted wound type things to kind of admit that he's a piece of shit and get it out there, you know, because they're filming all this and they, you know, everybody has to see it. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, and it it's ends up, there's more people involved, but they all throughout the movie, you know, fall prey to the demon and it ends just being the main three leads. But I mean, it gets really intense because she's, I mean, some of the stuff that they, she has Father Max do is pretty cringe inducing. I mean, it's pretty rough. Like, I mean, he physically harms himself. Like at one point in time, if enough people don't like click or something, click like, uh, she's going to like hang him and all this stuff. So they kind of play in on that and it, they do a pretty good job with it. Uh, wait, quick question. Is this like in a TV show setting? It's 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 kind of in a YouTube type setting. Like if you can imagine like somebody filming okay. like a YouTube video and like putting it out there. It's like, hey, guys, you know, newest adventure, yeah. you know, that, that's kind of what it's like, you know. With what is this called again? The Cleansing Hour. The Cleansing. I feel like I've seen this. Uh, you might have. I don't, I, you know. I think my hubby, again, <laughs> This is what we're watching, and I believe the hubby had this on, and I was watching it. Um, was it like, okay, just to, to make sure, because it might not be. There's so many movies out there. Is this one where they were trying to cut the power at some point yes, to they, stop everything? Yeah, they, okay, they try, I've seen this. Okay, so they try, they try to cut the power at one point. It doesn't work. The demon you oh, know, yeah. makes it all work again. And I'm going to throw this out there. If anybody wants to skip ahead a little bit, you know, just like a minute or a few minutes or whatever, I'm going to give a big spoiler for the movie in case you want to watch it. It's actually pretty good, so I kind of recommend that if you want to. It is a good one, yeah. Um, But spoiler alert, you know, here's your chance to skip ahead.
the movie, how it ties into some of the other movies that we're discussing today, is that at the end of the movie, it reveals that it's actually the real devil that's inhabited Lane's body, and he's using the clicks uh, and all the viewership to get the most people in the world that he can to watch so he can possess them. And at the end of the movie, yes. it's this real big reveal where all these people across the world, including like the president's son, get possessed by this demon and they go out and they kill like all these people in power and all the people that's close to them. And it's caused, and like it just these massive scenes of, you know, like chaos or whatever, because all these people are now, you know, basically infected with, you know, the demonic entity. So TV and the interwebs is the devil. It's a running theme tonight. And so anyways, the lore is kind of cool, or actually really cool. I I like the fact, especially the database that Drew's coming up with and the fact that they have to, you know, name it. And that's, you know, kind of how they compile how to, you know, fight it. Uh, Father Max deserves every bit of the stuff that happens to him. You don't really, I mean, I really felt no empathy for the guy because, like, he is complete dirtbag. Like, the more that he has, oh, to, yeah, the more he has to reveal to his friend about what he's done behind the scenes to him. And, and you know, another thing, you know, there's some other things that might have happened between him and Lane. Spoiler alert, uh, yes. you know, it, whenever he reveals that, you feel no, it's like, okay, you're a piece of shit. Like, and there's no reason why this guy should have stuck by your side all these years, yeah. And so, I, I, I just it was a good movie. I didn't expect it to be honestly, and I, I really liked how it was. I'm giving it the Mandy rating just because it starts out kind of slow like Mandy, but then it just really ramps up, and that ending just goes balls to the wall. Like I wasn't expecting it to break. Oh out, yeah, you know? it was. I was watching this. I was like, "What the fuck?" Getting all into it. My husband's looking at me like, "Weren't you just turned over a second ago?" <laughs> <laughs> So it gets the Mandy rating, Mandy rating, just because it's just it goes from like okay, you know, a couple of people they're kind of discussing their problems, you know, and it's like oh shit, what was that, you know? It's like it it really ramps up. But with that, I think it's time that we actually get into our features. It is time, an hour and a half in. Let's do Let's it. Let's do this. Drive-in feature number one, Repossessed, nineteen ninety film, Woo. directed by Bob Logan. Principal players in this movie is Linda Blair. We all love her from The Exorcist. She was in part one and two. Uh, a movie called Hell Night, Savage Streets, Chained Heat, which I'm sure is one of those cheesy movies where, you know, the women in prison type, you know, exploitation films where they get, you know, nude or whatever and, and you know, and all kinds of things like that. Uh, she is both our main protagonist and our antagonist in this is Nancy Aglett. And funny thing about Linda Blair is that the year before this, she starred in a short film called The Heckling, which is almost the exact same thing that she does in this movie, which is a parody of The Exorcist. But it's that a sh- poor girl. <laughs> but it's a short film that she done. The Heckling was a short film, like it's only like twenty minutes or something, and it's an SNL type skit where like a, a rabbi is mistakenly called to the uh, you know the house to assist uh, uh, the priest and helping drive out like this bad comedian demon from her daughter, you know, which is Linda Blair. And it's kind of funny, you know, the rabbi, you know, he's like, you know, I think they make the joke at the end. He thought he was supposed to be at a bris or something. And, you know, he don't know why he was there. But it's a lot of. Well, doesn't that religion particularly, didn't they, don't they like celebrate the devil out or something? (laughs) Like they party? I I don't know. They they have a weird way of getting rid of dibbics or whatever they call them. Like the the demons or whatever. Yeah, basically they, they think they just like fucking have this party where there's several rabbis involved and. They just host this, I don't know, couple days long celebration until they're like, hey, yeah, you get the fuck out now. (laughs) (laughs) 
But this one's, I don't know, the heckling's kind of interesting just because it's like, you know, Linda Blair's basically just telling this string of like groaner bad jokes and, you know, and then there's like, you know, the priest that the that's the father uh, Karis type or whatever, you know, that's the assistant. He's always kind of like, don't laugh at it, Rabbi. You'll just make it stronger. And I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's just one of those things. Um, Jesus which, Christ. Which honestly is not too much different from this movie, but we'll get into it. Yeah, poor Linda Blair. She really had to ride this exorcist wave. I, She had to have gotten tired of it at some point. I mean, money or not, you know? I think she did, but uh, we'll get into it later. She actually had fun with this one just because she said she liked lampooning her character from The Exorcist. So she actually enjoyed Repossessed. As, uh, she didn't say the heckling, but, you know. Yes. Next up is Leslie Nielsen. Everybody knows him from a ton of movies. Airplane, the Naked Gun trilogy, Police Squad. He was in Kentucky Fried Movie, which is a movie that would definitely get canceled nowadays. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that movie, Raina, but it's got some rough stuff in it. Uh, which one again? Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. I have not seen that one, and now I need to see oh, it. Oh, well, I'll probably get canceled for even saying this one part, but there's a scene in the movie, and it's definitely, it was, I mean, I even, uh, way before all this stuff happened nowadays, like, I even thought it was just, like, I groaned, like, or cringed watching it whenever I was a kid. Um, there's, like, this this scene where this guy's supposedly a daredevil, kind of like a evil Knievel type, and he goes in the middle of Harlem, and, of course, he yells the N-word out, you know, amongst a bunch of, you know, black guys in order to, you know, and see if he can survive. That's literally the type of movie it is, so I'm just telling yeah. you. It's- well, let's be honest. Almost every Leslie Nielsen movie that's out there, he, we would probably, or he would probably get canceled oh, for now. I was getting ready to say, they it, would including this movie. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And uh, rest in peace, Leslie Nielsen. He did die in 2010. Uh, great actress. A lot of great movies if you have a good sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, of course, Dracula Dead and Loving It. He was in. Oh, my God. That's like got to be my favorite by far. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I, I've not watched so it. So many great movies to pick for, but from. <laughs> but that one, me and my mom enact so many scenes from that movie. It is. Fucking ridiculous. Well, I'll, I will say this. I've never seen it, and I've avoided it for years, but I will watch it for you during the, the vampire season. The vampire season. Oh, yes. We will definitely be reviewing that during the vampire season. Um, he was in Scary Movie 3 and 4. Um, he Was Was he? Yeah. Uh, the, I didn't know that. Yeah, there were bit parts, but he was in them. I remember seeing those. He was in Stan Helsing, which is another one of those, you know, type, scary movie type movies where they're making fun of all a bunch of, you know, like stuff that came out around the time. He was legit in Prom Night, the 1980 movie uh, with um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, okay. He, he was in that movie because he, he's a Canadian actor, and that was a Canadian film. So they, I think that was okay. one of those things. And one of my favorite films that he was in, uh, horror movie-wise, is uh, Creep Show. He, he was one of the best uh, segments in that entire film. I don't know if you've seen it, but like he plays... He plays an evil dude in that, and he does a, a, a legit job in it. I mean, a lot of people don't give Leslie Nielsen credit for being a dramatic actor, but he really does a good part in that. Um, I think he uh, Ted Danson was the other one he was kind of acting off of, and they were both, I mean, they're both considered comedians, but I mean, you know, they played dramatic roles in that scene, and it, it was really good. I don't remember that. <sighs> it's... Anybody seen the movie? I mean, it's a classic. We're going to discuss it at some point, but I mean, he's in the one where... Basically, uh, he bury, he finds out Ted Danson is dating his or been seeing his wife behind his back, mm-hmm. and so he lures Ted Danson out to like near in this one spot uh, near the beach. He uh, uh, somehow incapacitates him. Uh, he finds out or he puts uh, a 
when he when Ted Danson wakes up, he is covered. I, I think he incapacitates him. He might make him do it himself at gunpoint. I, it's kind of it's been a while since I've seen it. But anyways, whenever it's all said and done, he's covered up to his neck in sand, so he can't move at all. Yeah. And he puts it, and Leslie Nielsen puts it because he's like a TV guy somehow. So he puts like this TV uh, in front of Ted Danson. And it shows, like, uh, you know, Leslie Nielsen's wife and Ted Danson's lover uh, on the screen. And she's in the same situation. But she is at a point in the beach where high tide is rolling in. So she's slowly being drowned. And he basically tells Ted Danson, he's like, well, you're going to watch her die. And then the same thing's going to happen to you. And it, it happens. Uh, but then later in the movie, the the big reveal is he's back at home and he's all ple- you know proud of himself because he thinks he's got away with a perfect crime, and their waterlogged corpses basically make their way into the house and you know kill him is what it's insinuated. Yeah. Out, you know, so it, it's a really cool little uh, part of that movie. I think I, I do. I think I do remember that now, but I didn't click like thinking about that. Of course, he plays Father Father May I in the movie, which they make fun of Father that. May. You know, it's like, <laughs> yes, you may. You know, he has to say that. <clears throat> Ned Beatty's in the movie. He's been a ton of stuff. I mean, if you've not seen Ted Beatty in something, you've not watched a lot of older films. I mean, he was in he was in The Exorcist too, uh, as along with Linda Blair. But the funny thing is, they never filmed the scene together. So that. Oh. Speaking of movies that would get you canceled today, he was in The Toy, uh, which is a very, very uh, out-there concept that they would not allow today. I don't know if anybody's seen that one, but uh, basically, um, uh, you know, the main character is bought. He, he's an African-American, you know, uh, comedian. Uh, uh, again, I'm blanking on his name. But anyways, he, he gets bought by this young white kid or whatever, and he, he becomes his toy. I'm like, wow. You know, like even at the time, okay. I was like, that's a, that's an interesting concept. Awkward. Yeah. I think uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah, I believe that he was the, he's the main character in the toy. And then like Jackie Gleason, who uh, is like opposite and he, or is, it's like the, the father or the rich father of the son or the spoiled brat who buys the toy or whatever. Yeah. You, you wouldn't get by with that today, but. He was in uh, Superman 1 and 2, the Richard Donner films, which Richard Donner did The Omen, so there's a little bit of tie back there. And uh, he filmed a movie called The Unholy, but not The Unholy we talked about. This was a 1988 film by that name. I don't think it has anything to do with the plot either, but, you know, it's... it's got... Oh, my God. There's got to be so many Unholies out there. <laughs> I'm sure. If we've searched it. Uh, funny thing about Ned Beatty is he's uh, he was born in Louisville, Kentucky, so there's that. No. And he was also in Deliverance. He was the one that was made to squeal like a pig. So Like a piggy. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Cue the banjo. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, he plays TV evangelist and stand-in for Jim Baker. He plays Ernest Weller. And uh, that's one of the first contentions I have about this movie before getting into it is the fact that uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker are not people that modern audiences will know like so if you go back and watch this movie oh, you're gonna yeah. be like what's the deal with these tv evangelists and like if if you live through that time like as soon as i saw them i'm like oh yeah that's tammy faye for sure you know and that's funny because i was looking i did not look at the actors or actresses in the film but i was like that looks like tammy faye baker <laughs> she did kind of look like her i mean she really did yeah big time <clears throat> um anthony stark plays father luke uh He's in a he's a stand-in for Father Karras, you know the the priest that's kind of you know doesn't think oh, he's yeah. good enough. But then he's also standing for Luke Skywalker, and that guy could legit, absolutely he could legit play a knockoff uh, Mark Hamill. I'm not I'm not even kidding. Absolutely, he he had that look to him. 
I definitely had to consider for a few minutes. I was like, is that? Mm, it's not. Uh, they even make the joke in the movie. They're like, use the force, Luke. You know, that's... that's All like, the time, yeah. yes. <laughs> they rode that wave. <laughs> yeah. He was... As far as horror movie fans goes, he wasn't really anything else other than the the so cheesy I love it movie Return of the Killer Tomatoes who has oh, uh, shit. who has uh, Adam uh, 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 Gomez Adams the original Gomez Adams uh, Sean Astin's dad uh, was in it um, and it's 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 a really cheesy but fun movie uh, on that subject real quick did you ever see the cartoon Attack of the Killer Tomatoes uh, it, yes uh, I did and I used and, to love that and actually. Uh, I feel like Return is a more like a live-action sequel to that than it was the actual first uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, wow. It's, I mean, it, it kind of is both, because if you've ever watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, it's every bit as cheesy as what the cartoon was. I mean, it, it really oh, yeah. was. And uh, they just really played it up for the Return movie. But he was in that. I think he played uh, the main protagonist in that movie, if I remember right. You have uh, Lana Schwab, who plays Fanny Ray Weller, who is basically Tammy <laughs> Faye Baker for all intents and purposes. Uh, she she actually went on to do another horror movie parody called Silence of the Hams with Dom DeLuise. Oh, my God. Uh, in 1994. She was in a legit scary movie, Twilight Zone the movie. So she actually was in something that was uh, le- legitimately scary, which is funny because she was in that, which was an anthology-type horror film. And then, you know, of course, Leslie Nielsen was in Creepshow. So that's kind of an interesting combination. Yeah. And I only throw this last one out there because I was really surprised whenever I saw, like, both her acting, like, in B-movie type situation and the fact of where she was from. Uh, Melissa Moore, who plays the bimbo student at the beginning of the film, which provides one of the two one of the two different instances where some you know uh you know buxom you know lady in the movie you know reveals their breast uh she was the the blonde in the being the movie when you know kind of seducing father may eyes who's trying to tell his story um she's actually from with her big old juggies popping out yeah uh, she's actually from Versailles, kentucky i thought that was kind of interesting i was like okay she's been it i'm just gonna rattle off all these movies she's in uh, she was. She's got legit, like bona fide B movie actress, you know, chops. Oh, okay. She was in Samurai Cop one and two. She was in Sorority House Massacre two. She was in a movie called Storm Swept, which is a haunted house film. She was in a movie called Hard to Die, which was about fighting a demon. She was in Asylum, okay. Asylum of the Damned, uh, Face of Evil, Bikini Drive In, Caged Fury, mm-hmm. which is one of those another one of those movies where the women, you know, are in prison and you know and all that stuff. They have to get naked and have you know sex scenes at some point. Uh, scream, oh darn! <laughs> scream Dream, Vampire Cop, and Evil Spawn. I mean, she was in a ton. Those juggies got her far. Yeah, I mean, as far as B movies goes, at least. And I got to throw out a side note here. Although I did say that Tammy Faye and Jim Baker were not people that anybody in modern would know, that's probably going to change uh, actually as of, of this year because I didn't realize this until recently. And I thought it was weird that like I started getting this from YouTube out of nowhere. There is a movie coming out, uh, a new movie called Eyes of Tammy Faye that's set to come out this year starring Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye Baker. I saw that. So Yeah. I mean, that makes this movie a little bit more relevant whenever you consider the fact they're actually going back and and digging all that stuff up again. I mean, the transformation is going to be insane. Like how, I mean, I know you can glue some eyelashes together for (laughs) with mascara for Jessica Chastain. I've seen the preview. Um, She looks scary. She looks almost as scary as uh, Pennywise from it. I'm not even kidding. Like they like, oh my God, she's got clown makeup on. It is pretty horrendous. 
I was like, that's Jessica Jastain. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Good God. Uh, This is a sad bit of news. Ned Beatty actually died just a few weeks back. Like, I think it was the beginning of June that he passed away. So uh, that's pretty recent. And uh, just a weird thing that I noted, uh, Gremlins 2 has like two things that are almost exactly the same thing as this movie. And I wanted to call it out, uh, call Repossessed out as being bullshit, like plagiarism of Gremlins 2 until I found out they both came out in the same year. So these movies, these movies didn't technically rip each other off unless somebody was writing the script and they saw the script of the other movie. But the things they have in common is they both have a wrestler, wrestling commentators. I think it's the Hulk and and, and somebody else in... um, Gremlins 2, and of course, it's uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. He's the mind now, but and uh, Mean Gene in this one. And then they both have a fourth wall break where, or a fourth wall like, you know, interlude where like somebody looks or breaks the film that the, the movie's playing on and the, somebody has to get it rolling again, um, which was kind of funny. I was like, because uh, I noticed both of them, and I'm like, wait a minute, these movies, you know, but they didn't rip each other off. I mean, they both came out the same year. It's just funny they both had those in them. <laughs> A little bit of trivia, uh, the only award that Repossessed got was a Golden Raspberry Award, which means it was really bad, for the worst oh. for, for the worst song in a movie, and it's uh, He's Coming Back, The Devil. If you can... St- which is... Oh, okay, yeah, that one's at the no, end. Never no, this is the one at the end, and this one blows. I mean, it is really, really bad. Uh, the Devil in the Blue Dress that plays during the movie is actually pretty good. I, I actually liked it, but... Well, yeah, that's kind of like the original. They also had um, Chasing the Devil, which was a... Parody of The Devil Inside by NXS. Oh, yeah. Chasing the devil. Chasing the devil. (laughs) Yes. And so I was like, oh, that's fucking the devil inside. I got you, motherfuckers. (laughs) But, yeah, he's coming back to devil. Oh, my God. It deserved the Golden Raspberry for the worst song. It is rough. You know, I and I know for the time, the the original um, score, which was Repossessed, I know that was probably good for its time, and I know it's a comedy film, but that one was god-awful as well. Re, 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 repossessed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should probably play a little clip in between so everyone kind of gets a little idea. Oh, my God. Um, uh, this is weird. This movie came out a month after Exorcist 3. <laughs> it came, wait, I'm so, a month after Exorcist 3? Yeah, it did. <laughs> I wonder if that was unintentional, because that's fucking hilarious. I, I don't know, but I think that's hilarious, because Exorcist 3 is where Linda Blair dropped off, and she went to do this instead. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure... Well, watching this film, I was like, God damn, you're beating a dead horse, but at the point of Exorcist 3, you're beating a dead horse, if she was in that one as well. I know, granted, they had different possessed persons... Am I correct about that? I didn't make it to um, Exorcist. I think 3. they did, but somebody and I've not watched Exorcist, the the other Exorcist movies, but I've actually heard some people claim that Exorcist Three is actually legitimately good in its own right because it kind of veers away from the formula. Because I think that they um, the Columbo ripoff guy, I don't even remember his name now, the detective that was in the first Exorcist movie, uh, they they recast him in, in Exorcist Three with George C. Scott, if I believe right, and like uh, and there's a whole plot where he's where it's just about him trying to to save or you know try to solve this murder that looks like the possession that he dealt with earlier, and it goes a different route. But there's a lot of people that legitimately likes it, saying that because it broke away from the formula and it tried to do its own thing, it's it's got its own uh, worth or whatever. And George C. Scott, I mean he he's got legit acting chops. I mean at least as far as like acting like a pissed off person. I mean you couldn't find no better actor than him at the time for that. So yeah, well, and then I imagine that. 
for okay, so I'm looking at Linda Blair. I don't see her credited. Oh my god, that was terrible. <laughs> credited in um, The Exorcist Three, so maybe they might have showed a scene been, or something like you know, as a background or something. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was a small slap in the face that she wasn't in it, and the opportunity came up that you know they were gonna do repossessor. She's like, fine, I'll do this instead. I, you know, maybe I, I didn't get that far into like researching it to see if that was the reason, but uh, she. I mean, you know what, Linda? Never let them forget where it all started. <laughs> Um, but she did, I mean, according to the trivia, she thoroughly enjoyed making the film and getting to laugh and spoof the character that she, you know, that caused her so much stress earlier in her life. So it was kind of well, one thing, you know, for sure, you can see it in the acting is that they had fun. Oh yeah. She, she, especially if nothing else. She gets, she lights up whenever she, you know, takes on the, the possessed role. I mean, she's, oh, yeah. I kind of feel like she's whole hum as Nancy, but whenever she starts really getting into the possessed part, she's loving every minute of it. The movie. Yeah. She here's a weird bit of trivia that I've never actually seen, but it's apparently the thing. Whenever I was doing research on this, she also is playing a student in Father Maya's class at the beginning of the story. Whenever he starts uh, going over what what happened to him, like she's it, I did not know she's that. in that scene too somewhere in that class. Hmm, okay. So in The Exorcist, she played Reagan. In this movie, she played Nancy. So they said it was just play on words, like Nancy Reagan, you know, like the first lady. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it was rated PG thirteen, but it has two instances. Really? Yeah, but it has two instances full topless females. Uh, Melissa Moore, as we described, and Julie Strain. This is like her first movie, and if anybody doesn't know who Julie Strain is, she's another uh, major scream queen exploitation film actress who uh, recently passed away at uh, like in her early fifties, I believe, to be in this year, which is tragic. Not from COVID or anything. This was a whole separate thing that she'd been fighting with for years. But um, I mean, like she's she was in so many things. Like I mean, if you all that stuff that I rattled off from Melissa, you can double that for Julie Strain. Like most. Most people would know her for being like the cover model and the main actress in the the cartoon like uh, live act slash live action movie Heavy Metal. Uh, but um, oh, okay. But like, I mean, the the big tall Amazonian brunette, like she always played that character, and she she loved it in every movie she played. Like, I mean, because she liked being the big you know uh, female badass, and that's the type of character she always played. But she's the one in the scene where Father May Eyes, like you know, they they make the little joke about how his heart's going to beat faster, uh, or anytime his heart beats faster, that monitor will go off, and like he happens to look in the female. Uh, restroom and like the and she's the one back there that's showing her tits off and then like his heart starts like you know really rapidly beating or whatever so that that and this is her first movie so there's that and by golly i want to know i look at inquiring minds wish to know how many breastuses did they have to look at well how many women sat on the (laughs) casting casting couch couch, okay with their juggies hanging out because my god they picked out nothing but the best in breasts okay literally the first the student i was like are those real they don't look fake they 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 looked perfect and then you see this actress in the dressing room tiny woman with these massive juggies and again don't look fake and i'm like how is that even possible <laughs> I, I I mean I'm right there with you. I, I, I think that somebody had a lot of fun. They were just like, okay, I get this job. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like I'm going to, and they were like, nope, nope, that one, nope, nope, that one. <laughs> like, 
nothing but double D's need apply here. <laughs> that would not go well in today's society. It's just so funny because it's like if you, I mean, they literally were like, uh, so this is going to be, I mean, uh, just a spoof of the exorcist. Are you willing to show you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, side me up. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah. uh, this is the type of movie you'd expect to, to get somebody to be that, you know, open to doing that. But hey. You know, if that's if they if if it furthered their career somehow, uh, which apparently it did for Julie Strain, because like I said, she went on to a ton of stuff. I don't know where in Melissa Moore's like you know filmography this happened, but I mean, good on them if it helped them out somehow. Yeah, and I mean, all the all of Leslie Nielsen's films are known for innuendo. There's definitely innuendo. I don't recall, and obviously, I don't know. But there's other movies I'm gonna have to go back and watch. I have watched the Naked Gun series, but like they never just full-on showed the boobs. Like I I don't recall a lot where you just full-blown see the titties. I mean, in Naked Gun, you have, uh, what's that, tall blonde? Anna Nicole Smith. Anna Nicole yeah. Smith. She was a bombshell. And there's a scene where she is whipping her boobies around, and the straps of her dress are swinging, and it only showed the silhouette. It didn't actually show her tits. Yeah, I kind of feel like in most of his movies it was implied and it never actually showed anything. But Yeah, so I was really shocked to see, like I said, full fronto, frontal uh, boobies. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised by that going back and rewatching it. And I was also surprised at, I mean, just the amount. I mean, like there's even the scene where they, they play the naked gun type in your window where the lady's like pumping up and like her breasts are oh, yeah. inflating or whatever, you know, while she's doing it. And uh, I was just like, man, they, they really leaned harder to this, you know, like they, they. I went, I remember that from when I was a kid. I, I remember that scene. I do not remember the naked boobies, though. <laughs> you blanked them out. You were like, oh my God. They probably, I guess so. They probably sh- didn't show them on like, you know, TV whenever they played that. I can't imagine Maybe, that they yeah. did. I, my thing is with this movie is that it's it's just like a lot of Leslie Nielsen's other movies. It doesn't really have a plot. And it's, I mean, it does, and it's kind of just aping, you know, the the formula from The Exorcist. But this movie really, more than anything, is just like a framework to just play, or to, you know, roll jokes off of. That's really all it ever yeah. was. Like, scene after scene after scene. Like, the one that stands out for me is just like a sight gag that they do where she's going to Father Luke's church, and it's like the... Uh, you know, it's it's Our Lady of the Evening Church or something like that. Basically. I loved that name, Our Lady of the Evening fucking hookers, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Lady of the Evening. <laughs> and, I mean, and I'll be honest with you, some of the, I mean, I caught the references in it. You know, obviously Rambo, like there's a scene where he's like hiding in oh, a gym yeah. and, and all that. And I'm just like, okay, okay. The stuff that cracked me up was the stuff that's just, you know, juvenile, but it's like timeless. You know, like the little kid, like whenever Nancy first becomes possessed and they're all trying to figure out what's wrong with her. And the kid's like, it's obviously she's on her period, you know, like it, yeah. every time it just cracked me up. I mean, probably for the, you know, it's probably bad that I laughed at it, but I'm just like, you know, that, that type of humor is what really really like remained over time like is you know and, and the rest of it i was just like eh, i catch the reference but uh, it's still it's it's even dated for me and i you know I, I i don't know like the and we old yeah i mean like the 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 bakers or whatever like uh, tammy or the wellers in this case or whatever I mean, I, I got the joke, but I was just like, you know, when Fufu, you know, oh, uh, spoiler alert, people, uh, rut row, this is a, gets a rut row warning because a little Fufu, you know, going into the <laughs> wood chipper. But I mean, whenever <clears throat> that happened, I was just like, you know, I mean, I got the humor of it, but I'm just like, I'm so sick of the, the Wellers. I just want them gone out of this movie. Yeah, they were not necessary in this film. 
I mean, in my opinion, I, I think that the people they I, they were just so popular at the time this movie came out. I think that somebody had to make fun of them, and that was the you know that was you know the reason they made it. Honestly, I think they they took their hatred of the Bakers, and then the fact that they could get you know uh, Linda Blair uh, you know in on it, and they were just like, let's just make a joke movie about them, and we'll kind of tie in possession. I, I literally think that's what happened with this movie. You know, I think the word that we're looking for in terms of Tammy Faye Baker and, you know, the Wellers, televangelists, yeah. and we still kind of have that. Uh, they're just looked at super crazy, and they don't really make, even though, like, we hear a lot <clears throat> on the Rain Man show, we hear Mike making fun of the televangelists. Oh, God, there's a real popular one. I always forget his name. Joel Osteen. Um, no, not that one. The crazy one that just, it's a real old oh, guy. He always says that you're he's talking about drinking the, the blood of virgin yeah, the boys. the 700 Club. Yeah, you're talking about that guy. Yeah. Those, that was a big thing back in the 80s, 90s, not even 2000s. They were all but wiped away. They still exist. They just don't have the popularity Pat that they Pat Robertson. Used to. I had to look it up. Pat Robertson. Ugh, oh, yeah, God, he's awful. Guy. He's awful, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. So I feel like anybody watching this, they won't really get it. Yeah, because he... Which sucks. Yeah, I mean, and he's... And, like, there's really... Televangelists have not been, like, in the mainstream since, I would say, the late 90s, if, if they were even, pop, you know, still in the mainstream com consciousness then. I mean, I, I don't recall hearing about them other than, you know, like I said, Joel Osteen for his, like, mega church. That's the only thing that I, I recall recently. And it's not like he's out there in the, the news a lot for anything. I mean... You get these weird, like, side stories about Pat Robertson talking about how, you know, something like gays brought on hurricanes or whatever stupid shit he says. But, I mean, you know, that that's like, you know, little random things that pop up here and there. They're not like things that are, I mean, for reference to anybody who doesn't know, like, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, they were on all the time, like, back in the day. Yeah. Like, you. So, when you see Nancy watching TV and that's what was on TV, families really did gather around and watch that. Oh, it was, yeah. And. Probably plays into the satanic panic stuff, too, if we're wanting to really tie it into all that. I think that's why the televangelists got, you know, as popular as they did. I mean, I don't know. It, it, but it's it's one of the things that really dates this movie more than anything else in it. I mean, the pop culture references are dated. I mean, even the wrestling stuff. I mean, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people now, I mean, they, they won't know. I mean, and that, that goes even for gremlins. But I would say that Hulk Hogan is more of an iconic figure. I mean, at least over the length of his wrestling career. He was more well-known than Jesse the Body Ventura. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't re want wrestling fans getting on to me, but when people hear J Jesse Ventura now, they think of, you know, the politician, not the wrestler, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, he's still... I feel like there's still reference to who he is, was, and they would they would probably get it. Maybe, but I mean, you know, like modern audiences, like you know, they're they're more about John Cena and you know, uh, obviously yeah, the Rock true. and stuff like that. They're the they're the new wave that people would think of, and I, I think Hogan stands up a little bit better because he he was there during the transition to those new people. So with the N, you know NWO and all that, so he's he's got a little bit more cred that holds up, you know, maybe for modern wrestling fans versus you know the Jesse the Body Ventura because he I, I don't even remember him being a big thing during the late 90s when which whenever I was into wrestling you know for whatever that, yeah. that says about me but there was an interesting time there whenever he was watching the rock really uh you know and stone cold and all them and I, I just don't I mean like I said Hogan was still factoring in all that but nobody else was yeah and I don't see any hardcore wrestling fans 
going to try to watch this movie for like maybe, <laughs> I don't know, five minutes tops of Jesse Ventura. No, they're not going to do that. They might watch some of like uh, Kane's movies because he's done some horror films, but that's still, but that's, or, and maybe like, uh, I think Stone Cold might have done like a, a kind of a thriller type movie, but they're not going to go into this movie just looking for, you know, a few minutes of Mean Gene and, and Jesse the Body. Exactly. If anything, they're going to watch because of Linda Blair. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Which is good because she is, from beginning to end, she is in this movie. She, and she's the most enjoyable part of the movie. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not going to take anything from Leslie Nielsen. I like this character in this, but if you've seen Leslie Nielsen in a parody movie, you've seen Leslie Nielsen in a parody movie. I mean, it's not... Yeah. You're not really getting a whole lot. I, I think his personal best parody movie is and always will be Airplane. I mean, that, that movie is a legit classic for a reason, and a lot of his other films kind of, I mean, the Naked Gun movies, I mean, still stand out, but sadly they stand out more for the fact that OJ's in them and all the controversy oh, around him. Oh, yeah. And I, I think Airplane, I, I think if you think of Leslie Nielsen, and this is just kind of like one of his, you know, I don't know, like his mediocre films he was in. I mean. Yeah, he has way better films in, turn of, in terms of comedy. Yeah, I mean, when it, yeah, when it comes to that, and of course, like I said, he's got a lot better dramatic roles if you're, which he don't play dramatic role in this at all. But I'm just saying, if that's what you're looking for, and I just I don't know, the movie to me, I mean, is there anything else like that that you that really stood out to you as far as the the film? I mean, it to me, like I said, it's it's just a bunch of you know sight gags and goofs or whatever playing off the 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 basic framework of the devil trying to possess everybody through a TV screen. Yeah, which is, we talked in depth about that and other films that have kind of followed that suit. Um, no, it's sad. The only thing that really stood out to me is the woman's boobies that, well, not only were on display, but the one that popped, because I remember that from childhood. I actually thought this film was funnier as a kid, now, and now that I'm an adult, um, I, I don't have that same, I don't know. I Then again, comedy wasn't as cliche as it is now, you would think nowadays I would actually think it was funnier because we don't get to have that kind of crazy comedy. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, torn. But the other thing that stood out was obviously the music, uh, the song, The de the Devil Inside, a.k.a. Chasing <laughs> the Devil. Uh, really nothing else stood out and the fact that I laughed every time somebody would say, Father, may I? And he's like, you may. Yeah, there, there's that little cheap joke. <laughs> I love his name. His lead cracked me up. Oh, and at the very, very beginning of the film, not even anything showing yet where it shows the THX uh, digital. Like, not, it's not even, it wasn't digital back then. It was the sound effects. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, um, it's making the fart production sound. Company. Yes, me and the kids were laughing. <laughs> so, ugh, it wasn't. It's not something I'd be dying to watch again. I'm glad the kids and I got to witness it again. I'm glad my kids got to see it for the first time and get that out of their system. They have to see the classics. It's a classic that you should see, but I'm not going to push it on anybody like religion. I, the the only other thing that stood out to me was just the, the, the repeated joke they did. And it started at the beginning of the movie. And then, they, of course, they brought it back at the end. And and it's it's really not that great. It's just, you know, something I was like, a little bit of chuckle at. It was just the, the constant, ooh, you know, like that he does. Uh, ooh. <laughs> like, just yeah. the fact they brought it back, I'm like, okay. Because they all do it at the end of the movie. I'm like, okay, that's a little bit. But, yeah, I'm the same way. I, it's like, I don't, I remember watching this as a kid. I don't remember what I thought about it as a kid necessarily because I really don't remember. I mean, other than the fact that I saw it and, like, I was like, okay, that's weird. I didn't know they made this movie. Um, but, like, now watching it, I'm just like, the, the, I'm just like, eh. Uh, you know, like, 
Do you want to give like the rating for this now, or do you want to wait and like give both the ratings at the end, I, just before? No, I, you let's know. do it now. Yeah, and then because we'll completely. I mean, obviously, it's in the same show, but we're going to completely separate. Um, okay. Stay tuned. I'm go- and give it its own separate rating. Okay, so I'm going to have to go ahead and rate this a two out of five, and it's just like I mean, I you know I enjoyed it while it was playing. I mean, I watched it a couple times to kind of you know re you know make sure I, I caught everything. But it's just like, I mean, just the age. This one's just, I mean, and it doesn't have, like, we'll get into it with uh, Stay Tuned. Stay Tuned has some age problems, too, but it still has a plot, and it still has, you know, an adventure going on or something interesting in the background. I like the story better, and this one just doesn't have a story. I mean, it really don't. I mean, it's it does, but, I mean, it's just like the barest of stories to just, you know, like, what let, let's have a whole exercise scene because, you know, uh, Jazzercise is popular now. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know. It, oh, yeah. I, I, I just, I mean, it's two out of five for me. It's, it's you know, it's advanced decay or whatever, you know, that we, we said. Uh, as far as that, that's exactly what it is. Um, I just, uh, it's, I mean, that's not one that I would say go, I mean, rush out and watch. I mean, if it's, you know, if you catch it sometime or if you can watch it for free somewhere, hey, you know, there's worse ways to spend your day. And especially if you're a fan of The Exorcist, then go ahead and kind of see Linda Blair, you know, at least having some fun with a role that literally broke her back. But I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't go out of my way to see it. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Um, I am exactly with you on that. I, it is a two out of five, so that is a 40% on the uh, rotten corpse scale for us because it did. It, in terms of advanced decay, it did not age well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. It didn't, and some movies do. You can still watch some of Leslie Nielsen's uh, hilarious comedy movies that really did age well. They hold up really well, especially for the older generation that had a different view of comedy than we do today. Um, and there was not a lot that held my attention. I fell asleep multiple times. I had to watch this movie in three different increments because I kept falling asleep. I did laugh. It, I had some chuckles. It just, I don't know. It, like I said, it didn't, it didn't age well. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And with that, I guess we should move on to our second movie of the night, and that would be Stay Tuned, a 1992 film. Uh, directed by Peter Hyams, uh, principal players in this, John Ritter, which I don't know, I mean, I guess he's he's done enough, well, I mean, when I get in his movies, there will be enough horror fans that will appreciate him for what he's done in the last little bit, but I mean, I don't know, like, comedy-wise, if uh, outside of, uh, you know, Bad Santa that a lot of people remember him from, but... Um, course he played a problem child i well, mean not a horror film but eh, that i was gonna get into that but that's not like i mean that's old enough too that oh, i don't think no oh contraire reverend you are wrong he is very well known in the horror oh genre. no he's known in the horror genre i'm talking about comedy okay. wise he's probably not oh like comedy anymore. wise oh um uh <clears throat> i mean three's company maybe not as many people would remember that. Uh, and then the Problem Child movies, they kind of, they're kind of in between. I would rate them as more like a, a, a 
I almost feel like those are parodies of the Omen in their own right, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, that, that's kind of what they are. They're almost like, you know, a little evil, but done with, you know, without the kid actually being like, say, you know, the spawn of Satan. But yeah, I'm looking at all of his movies and yeah, you're right. I don't hardly know any of these. But he he plays Roy Nabel in the movie. Uh, He's the main protagonist and slash couch potato. That's a big point in the movie. Uh, He was in Three's Company. That's his biggest role uh, as I believe uh, Jack. I don't remember his last name in that because I... Uh, oh, God. Oh, I'll find it. Go ahead. Uh, but he was also in Problem Child 1 and 2. I love those movies. Um, he was in Bad Santa. A lot of people, well, if they... Modern-wise, that's the comedy movie that people will know him from. Uh, he played in uh, Stephen King's It, the 1990 version. He was one of the main characters, one of the main adult uh, actors in that movie. He played in Sling Blade. That was a big dramatic role for him. Uh, he played in... Uh, horror fans will know him for sure because he played in Bride of Chucky. He was in Freddy mm-hmm. versus Jason, and he was also oh, he was in a lesser known movie called Terror Track. Okay, and he was also there was something I noticed whenever he was in it. There's a movie he's in called like Dead Husbands or something like that, and it's basically a movie about how his uh, he's a rich surgeon or something, and his wife's trying to kill him or something. That, that's pseudo related to horror, but not quite. But anyways, it was more of a it was supposed to be like a dark comedy or something. But I mean, most people would either know him for Three's Company or, you know, like I said, the the you know Sling Blade, especially. I mean, that's that's probably one of his bigger, well-known dramatic roles. Um, he was in uh, he was in that more recent show, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Daughter. Yeah, I believe he passed. I think it got. I believe he passed away on that show, if I remember right. Yeah, and that was that was really sad. I mean, I everything I ever saw him in, I ever I always enjoyed the film. I was just going to say, he's an enjoyable actor. I mean, he's one of those guys, whenever you see him, he, he's he got a charisma to him. Even if it's not like the the character's not necessarily one that stands out. Because like in Bad Santa, he plays kind of this effeminate, like, you know, not not really accomplishing anything type, you know, like uh, director of the mall or whatever. But like when, but he, he steals the scenes when he's in them. I don't know what it is. He's just got that about him. Like there's just, there's that charisma to John Ritter that kind of stands out. Um, yes, and now I will give a little bit of trivia. His wife, Amy Yazbeck, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was in the Problem Child films with him. I think that's where, I'm going to assume that's where they met. Okay. Or maybe they had been married at that point, and then he just had her in those movies. Maybe they cast them together. But she plays Mina in Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess there's a, so, link, there's a link between these movies. There is, yeah. She was, well, I mean, a Leslie Nielsen film, but, you know, we got this actor in this review, and his wife, who's also been in some comedy films, very gorgeous woman, too, by the way, very gorgeous redhead. Yes, she was in Dracula Dead and Loving It as Mina, so I'm definitely going to enjoy <laughs> when we do that review. The, the Also, a little bit of trivia is that John Ritter's son, I mean, this is kind of pseudo-related to horror fans, uh, his son plays the, the does the voice for uh, Little Dipper uh, uh, on Gravity Falls, uh, which is kind of tangential oh, to horror films. So that, that's kind of an interesting thing. Oh, good for him. Pam Dauber plays Helen Nabel, and she's the competent member of the marriage. She actually saves them in several of the scenes we'll get into, plays an executive in the movie. I did not know this about her, but she was the uh, eponymous Mindy from the Mork and Mindy show. 
Like, oh shit. Yeah. Like whenever I was reaching, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this. Uh, there was a lot of people that wishes that if they, they couldn't get Robin Williams on to do it, but they, they kind of wish that this movie would have parodied Mork and Mindy at some point. Cause they make the parody yeah. of Three's Company in the film, which is one of my favorite parodies in the film. Uh, but then like, it would have been great if she could have had a scene with Robin Williams just as, or, you know, like to kind of, you know, bring that up again. Um, and she also was in a few episodes of Bewitched apparently, but you know, Mork and Mindy's her main claim to fame. I gotta say, I mean, I, I I think, I I think she's like a gorgeous lady in this movie. She's not gorgeous in the sense of like, you know, we're talking about Melissa Moore and Julie Strain, you know, like just buxom, you know, beauties or anything, but they're, I don't know, especially whenever she has the scene where she's like the classic, you know, uh, femme fatale. Oh, yeah. She's, she's gorgeous. Oh my God. I have to 100% agree with you. I was looking at her and I was like, wow, she's kind of a babe. Yeah, and I mean, even at the beginning of the movie, I've always thought, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, watching, like, Roy, and he's just kind of sitting on his couch, and he's, like, got this hottie for a wife, and it's like, dude, I, what the hell's wrong with you, you know? <laughs> yeah, moving up in the pharmaceutical world, you know? <laughs> um, you got, and this is kind of a blight on the movie, but you got Jeffrey Jones, Ooh. plays uh, Spike Mephistopheles in the movie, who's the main uh, antagonist and the demonic head of the HTV programming. We mentioned it previously in The Devil's Advocate, which he's also in, that uh, in real life, Jeffrey Jones is a pedophile. So there is that dark stain upon any movie that he's in. And unfortunately, he's been in a ton of great stuff. I mean, I'm not saying as a, he's bad as an actor. I'm just saying, you know, anytime you watch a movie now with him knowing that, it's kind of hard to watch it and not think that. It's the only bad thing. Because he's actually a good actor, despite whatever else he's got going on. But he was It's in- hard because, yeah, I mean... You- I heard Mike say it on the Rain Man show, literally just a, an episode ago, that it's very hard for him to separate, you know, well, not separate, excuse me. It's very hard for him to hate somebody because of what they've done outside of their acting, because when you're acting, you're doing just that. You're playing a character, and who you are on the outside isn't representative of what you're supposed to be representing in the movie or the show that you're watching. So... He's like, I have liked people that have gotten in trouble, and I still do, and I still like their art. I just don't like who they are or what they represent well, outside of that. And it's the same thing with Roman Polanski. I mean, we got we. I mean, it's he. He's a dirtbag in real life, but I mean, the man was talented as all hell. I mean, you know, he paid for it. You know, in in real life too, to a certain extent. But I mean. You know, and it's the same thing with Jeffrey Jones. I mean, the man was the principal in Ferris Bueller, a great role. He was the antagonist in that. He was in The Devil's Advocate, uh, which is funny because he was kind of playing uh, Bar- uh, Barrow or whatever his name was in that. It was, I kind of feel like he, his character, I don't think, was that different from the character in this, really, to be honest with you, between The Devil's Advocate, because he was kind of like a lackey for the devil, in other words. Yeah. He played uh, in Ed Wood. He was great in that. Uh, Beetlejuice, he plays the dad in that. I mean, that movie, oh, that's probably one of my all-time favorite movies, of, you know, Oh, period. yeah. Uh, he was great in Sleepy Hollow. A lot of these are Tim Burton films, if you didn't know. Yes. We'll get into that in a minute. There's maybe a connection here to this movie. Uh, he was in uh, uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D with somebody we know, uh, a little... Uh, uh, Mr. Jensen Ackles. Jensen Ackles. Uh, and he was in uh, Transylvania 65000, which is kind of a... Uh, kind of the, a cult classic at this point with uh, Gina Davis and uh, Jeff Goldblum. And uh, I mean, it's it's packed with like, you know, well-known actors and actresses, kind of like a little cheesy, you know, like comedy slash 
uh, they weren't really going for horror, but they played on horror themes. I think like Gina Davis is playing a vampire who's not really a vampire. She's just an infomaniac, which is kind of funny. Oh, shit. And that was whenever Gina Davis was hot. So, I mean, it was, you know, it, it's it's a pretty interesting movie. But so, I mean, he's just been in a ton of stuff. It's just, it's bad because, you know, if you know anything about the, but I mean, he he plays Spike so well in this movie. You, you love to hate him. Oh, yeah. You love to hate him in this movie. And next up in the movie is one of my favorite additions to this is G- Eugene Levy, who plays Crowley. Oh, yeah. Which I, I, I love it that he's Crowley, first of all. I mean, I you know, like the Supernatural reference, but also Aleister Crowley, you know, the whole connection there. That That's great. Yeah, and the fact that they're harvest not harvesting, but they're collecting souls, and that's kind of what Crowley helped facilitate, you know? Yeah, and he's kind of like a mid-level demon, kind of like Crowley was before he became the King of Hell, you know, It's and he's kind of like always gunning for the top position in his own way by kind of, you know, I don't know, there's similarities there. And, uh, you know, if you don't know, I don't know how any modern audiences wouldn't know Eugene Levy because Shit's Creek, man, that, that, st- that is popular. Like, anybody would know him from that, first of all. Yeah. And then American Pie films, I mean, I that's where I really got to know him big time was from that because playing Jim's dad in those movies, he's great. He was also in Heavy Metal with Julie Strain. That's another connection between the two films. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, he was in a movie called Cannibal Girls. And, um, <clears throat> of course, he's been in a ton of comedies. He started out, I believe, in SCTV, which is a Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. And, I mean, he he's, he's a great comedian. I mean, he just... He kind of reminds me of Groucho Marx. I mean, it's it's not just oh yeah, it's not just the eyebrows, but I mean, there's just something about him. I mean, it, there's something about him that just it's it's like he's a modern day version of that you know that actor. So you've got Heather McComb, uh, who plays Diane Nabel in this movie, uh, who plays the daughter. And the only reason I really bring her up is a couple of things. She was in a couple of horror films, Apt Pupil, which is based on a Stephen King novel uh, that she plays. Um, I believe uh, Anthony Hopkins was in that, if I believe right. It's kind of like a, a student is being groomed to be like the next Hitler or something. And oh shit! Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a dark subject, but I mean, it's it's an interesting like film, you know, like kind of breaking down like how people are brainwashed and that sort of thing. She was a movie called Day of Reckoning, which is a, a movie about subterranean monsters attacking humanity, which kind of gives me a Tremors vibe in a way, just on the description, if nothing else. But her biggest, the biggest thing that I thought was weird about her was that uh, she's married to James Vanderbeek. <laughs> oh shit! Uh, it's just, uh, and I don't know. There, there's. We're talking about Dawson's Creek. Yeah, Dawson's Creek. And the funny thing is, is that I mean, just thinking about it, like the six degrees thing is crazy in this this list that we've come up with these two movies because, uh, you know, Eugene Levy you know, was uh, obviously, you know, in the American Pie films. And, you know, the the, the guy that played his son, Jim, or whatever, was uh, in the, the Kevin Smith movies playing, I believe it was uh, Blunt Man, or, or uh, next to uh, Jay's Chronic or whatever, who was played by James Vanderbeek. So it's like they, you know, it's, it's like both of the actors ended up like being close to somebody that was like later on went to like work together in something else. It's just, it's nuts. Oh my God. Um, and then finally, David Tom. Now, this is interesting. He plays Daryl Nabel, who plays the son. Now, he was in two like cheesy horror films, Stepfather 3 and The Hazing. Um, I don't really know what they're about. I assume The Hazing is about like, you know, some kind of fraternity thing gone wrong. And Stepfather sounds like one of those exploitation films where the stepdad's the killer, you know, like he, you know, works his way in the family and kills all of them. But the funny thing is, is he went on to like star in another movie uh where he played john ritter's son so it's like he he plays john ritter's son twice in his history and 
he ended up, this is the funny thing about him that I read on here. He he ended up on The Young and the Restless, like, uh, through a, <laughs> and he was, because he went from being this dorky little kid on this, that if you see pictures of him now, he's like one of those, you know, like, you know, I don't know what those hunks you would see on the cover of some kind of romance novel or something. And like, so he's one of those actors on The Young and Restless. But the funny thing is he's got a twin sister. Now through a series of recast, they ended up playing opposite each other as husband and wife on the show. <laughs> and the funny thing was, what? is that they, <laughs> they had to, they had to wait for more recast to be done. So they would, uh, you know, rotate off of each other so that any kind of love scenes could be filmed between the two, because obviously it'd be awkward if a twin brother and sister were like making out with each other on film, but they, they were literally married together, brother and sister on the young and the restless at one point. Oh my God. <laughs> Some trivia about this movie is that the stamp on the envelope that the cartoon Roy, whenever he's the little mouse, sends yes. is actually Chuck Jones, uh, the legendary cartoonist oh, behind Lo- Looney Tunes. And, uh, he, Which makes sense because that scene looks like a Chuck Jones cartoon. Oh, yeah. He, well, he was the supervisor of the animation for the film. So, yeah, it's, it's okay. a straight up Looney Tunes. I mean, you might as well say it's in the Looney Tunes universe, even if it's not because it's, yeah. it's Chuck Jones. The animation segment was in production for about six months before the filming of the live action. Live action even began because obviously they had to to be able to get the you know everything done. Oh on time. yeah. Uh, Tim Burton, going back to Jeffrey Jones, uh, if you notice, there was a pattern. Jeffrey Jones worked a lot with Tim Burton, uh, and uh, Tim Burton was actually offered to direct this film uh, initially. Oh, interesting. Uh, he turned. It would have been a lot darker. Uh, it been. It would have been a lot different. I. I it might have been better in ways, but um, he went on to direct Batman Returns. So I. Uh, he turned this down for Batman Returns. So I think he made. Which I mean, come on, made, Batman Returns. Yeah, he made the better decision. Catwoman. Michelle Pfeiffer. Let me just say, Batman Returns was the first film I ever watched in a theater proper. So, you know, that there's that little oh, bit wow. of trivia. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, definitely. She, <laughs> yeah, uh, which ties back into The Witches of Eastwick because I believe she's in that film. So there you go. God, she's gorgeous. <laughs> she, she's beautiful. Uh, Mike, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were actually offered cameos to play the uh, uh, Dwayne oh. and um, and uh, was it Garth. Garth in this one? Darth. Or Darth or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but they had to turn it down because they were in production on Wayne's World at the time. Boo. And uh, it's, it's funny because in Wayne's, Wayne's World 2, Christopher Walken's character actually calls Wayne Dwayne, uh, possibly in reference to this film. Okay, okay. Which, by the way, I'm going to just throw that out there. I, I, you know, it, it's dated, but I love the, the Dwayne's Underworld segment. I just thought that, you know, like uh, somebody pointed out on the internet, and I have to agree, the guy who did, you know, Dwayne is kind of hit or miss when it comes to his impersonation of Dana Carvey. But the guy who played, uh, or not Dana Carvey, but Mike Myers, but the guy who played uh, the knockoff of Garth, he's like 100%. Like, Oh, yeah, he's spot he's on. He's spot on for Dana Carvey, even the mannerisms. So he, he, he done good. In the control room, there is an office message, which I haven't seen, but apparently it's in there, that says, remember that Tuesday is Saddam Hussein Appreciation Day. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, and you got to remember where we was at in the war against them at the time. So, yes. I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of funny. And especially with South Park making all this, the, the references to Saddam being in, in hell and being like the gay lover of the devil, that's even funnier to me. Oh, my God. Eugene Levy had previously starred in a short-lived sketch comedy TV series titled Stay Tuned, but it has no relation to this film wow. uh, at all. Interesting. 
the person that fixes the muted remote in the Salt and Peppa video was their actual DJ, Spinderella. Oh, shit. Yes, Spinderella. Pam Dauber uh, of Mindy, you know, Mork and Mindy fame, was five months pregnant during the filming of this movie, and the wardrobe department had to design clothing to hide that fact. What? Yeah. <laughs> that was a no way. It, it's crazy because she is so gorgeous in this movie. She really is. Yeah, well, I mean, well, pregnancy is not going to make you any less I know, gorgeous. But, but holy but crap, I mean, there's, like, there's some form-fitting outfits. As, I know is. that's what I'm saying. Like that, I'm not making like you know a comment about it. But I mean, like you know, they 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 definitely worked around the issue and and still got what they needed. I mean, it, it was great. Yeah, I'm. I I had no fucking clue. Granted, I mean. How many kids has she had? How tall is she? Because I know my first pregnancy at five months, you couldn't tell. But second one, I wasn't hiding a damn thing. I don't. So if she hadn't had kids before, and if she's a taller woman, you can hide it pretty she, well. I think she would have to be because I think John Ritter's maybe like five foot ten, five foot eleven, and she's about as tall as him, or maybe a little bit taller with heels. So yeah, I mean she she's on the taller end. I think. I mean I could be wrong about that because. I usually am. I see all these people in movies, and when I realize they're about half my height, then it really blows my mind, but that's a whole other issue. Oh, I'm going to find out right now. You can keep talking, and I will uh, interrupt when I have the info. All right. Um, like I said, David Tom, who played the son, Daryl, actually went on to star in that John Ritter's, uh, another movie is John Ritter's son, and that movie was titled Holy Joe, which is kind of funny considering this movie was about the devil or, you know, about demonic stuff, and they started a movie called Holy Joe together. Producers actually wanted Dan Aykroyd, of all people, to play Roy. And the funny thing is the studio wanted Richard Dreyfuss to play Roy and for Tracy Ullman to play Helen, but their combined fees together would have cost an additional $500,000, and that's the reason they went with oh, uh, yeah. John Ritter and Pam Dauber. I think they did a good job. And by the way, Pam Dauber, she is five foot six. Uh, okay. She's a few inches taller than me. That's, I mean, still, when you're an actress and you are a certain weight, you, I mean, you can still hide that shit, so... In twenty, and here's a, a little bit of interesting stuff as far as like keeping this. You know, we're talking about how some of this stuff's dated. In 2020, no less, AMC was in talks to begin a television series based on this movie. What? What? Yeah. In in 2020, they they before you know COVID hit, they were actually in the verge of, or at least in talks of bringing this back as a TV series. Which would be awesome if you think about it, because I documented every different like channel. And commercial. I love I from, love the stuff in this movie. I really do. Yes. In order. And, like, there's a lot they could go off of. Now. Which is, by the way, it was called Hellavision. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hell TV or, yeah, Hellavision. I... I gotta say, the references to this movie are dated, and they might not resonate completely with modern audiences, and I kind of discussed this with you in chat about the cable TV things, even kind of a passing fad, because, I mean, it does, it's satellite, so it's a little bit different, but, you know, most people are moving to streaming now, so it's kind of, you know, like the cable cutting and all that, but the references are just so good in this movie. Like, I mean, even like you might not get them if you're like younger and I get that, but like if you're anywhere close and you have horrible parents. Yeah. But if you're anywhere close to the age or you do any kind of like, you know, you're geeky enough to go back and actually look at stuff before your time, which I highly suggest anybody does because don't just go with what, you know, the year you were born and like only pay attention to pop culture from then on, actually go back. There's actually good stuff before you were born, believe it or not. Oh Yeah. Like, one of my favorite things was, like, just, I mean, we can just throw them out here, but, like, three men and Rosemary's Baby. Like, that is that so That was hilarious. Good. That's the first thing. Yes. 
which if anybody remembers a little bit of trivia about three men and a baby, there is supposedly a ghost in that movie, but it's been debunked and it's supposedly like a standout cut in of Ted Danson going back to Ted Danson and, you know, the connection with him and, uh, Leslie really Nielsen. at maybe three foot five behind a curtain in the shape of a little boy. I'm not buying that. Uh, well, that's what they said. They said it was a cutout of Ted Danson that somebody okay. hid behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. But anyways, there's a ghost in that film. If you want to, <laughs> if for yes. you know the allegedly the exorcist. I mean, that's so good. Oh, <laughs> now sp- now uh, now vomit or whatever she says. I just love that. It's like and then their heads turn and they vomit and their heads start spinning. Yes. Um, and speaking of that, the music that they play during that scene is also the music they play at the end of the movie, and it's catchy, even though it's kind of a dumb song or whatever, but I I thought it was like it had a good beat to it or whatever, so I'm just going to throw it yeah, out Yeah, and for the time, I mean, it holds up. Uh, Meet the Mansons. Oh, come on. that That is so good, like in the style of Leave it to Beaver, but it's got like, you know, yes. and they even, it's like starring whatever as Chuck, you know, like. As Chuck, <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> Um, Dwayne's Underworld, where he talked about that. It's it's a really good in person. I mean, really good like play on my all time favorite scene is the I love satin from that. <laughs> yeah. I, or excuse me, I worship. I satin. worship. Yeah, and he's like, and they're like, whoa, you know, like they're all like, you know, wherever he actually says it. And then that that I have to say in that scene where they're sitting there. I mean, because we talked about Pam Dauber and how gorgeous she is, and then the fact that they're actually, you know, they they even play on that because they've got you know like the penthouse that's supposedly you know Mrs. Nable or whatever. Uh, they go a little too far and bring in the, the you know, of course, because they're demonic, they bring in the, the teenage girl, which, you know, that's a whole other thing. But just the fact that... Oh, yeah. But the fact that they're looking at, like, you know, his wife in, like, some kind of seductive pose or whatever, I just th- thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> swing. <laughs> yeah, swing. The Three's Company meta spoof is the absolute best in the movie. When he pops, I mean, because yes. they don't even, like, that. they don't have to say anything else. Whenever he's dressed up like his character from The Three's Company, they have the two ladies behind him, which weren't, you know, they, they, they wasn't, you know, Suzanne Summers and the, and the other actors from that film or that show. They were knockoffs. But regardless, they were close enough in the background that you could get that in person, you know. You knew you what know was what they going were. on. And the fact that he was screaming to the top of his lungs because he thought he was back in hell again, you know, for real. I just I, th- that scene. I love it. I, I love every bit of it. Whenever it happens in the movie, <laughs> some of the movies that or some of the things they do, like in passing, real quick, like thirty something, the life. That was so good, you know, because they're all in prison. And uh, if anybody, I mean, it takes somebody who's really old to remember a third, uh, you know, like thirty something. But like that show was terribly boring to anybody who was a kid during that time, like myself. And the fact that they made them all in prison, I, I just get a chuckle out of it. So. There, there's that uh, golden ghouls that you know that's one that oh i missed that one yeah, that's at the end of the movie whenever they they play up in the corner like the tv's still playing or whatever and like you get to see yeah i think the like uh, there's a facts of life reference or something but i can't remember how they do it but anyways it's like you know it's 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 like you know like basically one of those uh ekg screens or whatever like the heart monitors they have in the hospital and like it goes out or something that's one of them they do they're all just like good plays like one of my favorites the one that eugene that actually is in the film where uh, Eugene Levy is is in the uh, quote unquote northern overexposure, and the, the the description they have for the show about like some whiny guy from New York that comes up and freezes to death in the in the north, that is such a good take on northern exposure. Because if anybody watched that, yes. that that show, that's pretty much northern overexposure. Yeah, that's, that's it's so good. <laughs> and the the thing I got to say about this movie is is even though and then you can chime in, you know, with the ones you like too. I mean, I'll just rattle off all the ones that stood out to me. 
But the thing I like about this movie, as opposed to Repossessed, is the fact it actually has, it's a movie. I mean, it is an action movie. Like, they start out with the adventure music at the beginning of it. Uh, there is the plot, the whole arc with Roy going from being like a do-nothing, you know, like couch potato to actually standing up and defending his family at the end of the film. Um, Helen's great throughout. Like, I mean, you know, she's, you know, she's take action, you know, through the whole thing, but like she comes to kind of, you know, or, you know, work things through things with Roy. I mean, that's one of the big things they introduced in the beginning is the break in their marriage. And, um, yes, this is one of those movies. There's a concept in movies, if anybody doesn't know, called Chekhov's gun. And basically, the, the, the theory is if you introduce a gun or any kind of plot device in the beginning of a movie, it has to be used by the end of the movie for it to, for the plot, to, or I mean, for the script to be, you know, like considered legit. This movie doesn't feature just one Chekhov's gun. It features features three. In the beginning of the movie, there is the dog that's introduced, which you have you know wisely yes. said is a hellhound, um, the yes. Rottweiler. Uh, it plays into the you know the actual movie, like that's how they overcome some of the stuff. Uh, the fact that Roy has the past history of fencing that comes into play definitely at the end of the movie. Oh yes. And then the fact that the kid, the son, is playing with the radio. They they introduced that at the beginning of the movie and then that's how they used to save him from, you know, uh that the the French Revolution, you know, uh, uh, off with his head or whatever they call it, you know. Yes. Oh, um Oh my god. Uh Yes, I I did. I think I wrote it down. Oh yeah, it was off with his head. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but the, the yeah, the, the Marquis de Nable will, will lose his or something's what they say, which that has that good state or whatever. It's like I just love that the guy in the audience or you know the two guys are watching. It's like he dresses like a woman, and then the other one's like, I do that sometimes. Oh, dude, I was dying when I saw that. <laughs> and then the one guy looks at him just like, okay, just look at him like, what? Well, okay, weirdo. And then the one guy, whenever he's hitting on him, he finds out that he's the Marquis. He's like, I would have bought you chocolate or brought you chocolate. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I mean, unlike the other movie, and this is a movie that I, I, I love rewatching. It's, it's just, I mean, it actually is a movie. They, they, they took the movie, but then they just threw a bunch of parodies in, you know, where they could to kind of play off yeah. of things. And it wasn't like overly cheesy. I mean, like I know that the 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 devil shows were and they were intended to be, but the rest of it was legitimate. And the one thing I liked about this film is Mrs. Nable herself. This is a perfect example of showing girl power without overly abusing feminism. Oh yeah. I mean, she was top notch. She kept her cool she saved them multiple times she wasn't this insane crazy feminist heroic character she was just getting shit done handling business as a boss bitch and it was subtle it was there you know and it's like okay great that is someone that you root for you know yeah and that that's i mean that's a good point i mean i you know she is definitely an example that modern writers should look to she didn't have the 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 crutch that they always rely on now where they make like a female character with masculine you know um attributes just to be able to you know make them more uh you know like uh and give them more power basically because i mean she uses her wits to get out of the first thing when they're on the game show it's like you know the you know especially the question about uh who are the the two of you see or you know or uh seeing or something like that or or former what former lovers are you seeing and it's like it's the two of us because we're you know we're not having sex or whatever you know that was her you know and that was brilliant and then of course the scene where the the wrestling because that's that's another thing that i guess these movies have connected is they both have wrestling in them and they have the great captain <laughs> lou albano that's in this 
this one, uh, being the ring announcer. He was the one that was in the Cindy Lauper video. You know, girls just want to have fun. If anybody remembers that yeah. reference, but um, like she's the one that just gets so pissed off and she just gets the steel chair, you know, like the microphone stand or whatever, and just knocks the the, the female uh, demon out or whatever with it. Uh, well, actually, both of them, I think. Yeah. So I mean, but I mean, you like you said, you never get the impression that she's like taking on masculine features. She's just in charge. She knows what she wants, and she, you know, and she's she's never the damsel in distress except for the fact whenever she's actually literally legitimately strapped to like on railroad tracks and with dynamite, you know, attached to her. That's the only time in the movie where she kind of loses any of her real power. I mean, because even the scene where it's like her, it's really the only time she needs her husband. Yeah, because even the scene where, it, like, you know, the the old uh, noir film, you know, throwback or whatever, where, uh, you know, Roy is the the private dick or whatever she says, um, <laughs> she she's not even like really damsel in stress in that scene. I mean, she's she's making the transition more like it's a given Roy the you know the leadership role at that point, but he's still fumbling around even in that scene. Like he loses his gun oh, and like I mean, yeah, and she's the one that's like you know trying to keep them protected underneath stuff. So, I mean, they, they do a really good job with her character in this movie. They, they give her just, I mean, they, you know, they, they back away from her power just enough to let Roy shine at the end, but not so much that she looks like she's, you know, been cast to the wayside in the process. Absolutely. I, I mean, I personal, I'm just going to rankings for the movie. I mean, I really, I really like this film. I mean, for me, it's honestly, I mean, especially comparing it to Repossessed and how that movie was more like a, you know, they, they wanted just a loose frame to put, like, jokes in. I feel like this is a legitimate movie that they threw jokes in, you know, after the fact uh, or, you know, like played around with what they had. I This is a four out of five for me. I mean, I, I can understand wow. for younger audiences that won't catch the references, I'll knock it down a point for them and say a three out of five. But if you go back and you have any kind of knowledge of any of this stuff, I mean, if you even catch half the references, I believe you will enjoy this film regardless. You know what? I can't disagree with you. It's going to be a four out of five for me. I didn't go the half point. I kept it solid. Uh, the jokes were there. I laughed. I don't know. God, it, you know, there's a lot of things in here that are dated that I worry, God, with the new you know, would the new, with the kids of today, would they get it? Um, I will say my son watched it and he, everything, he laughed at everything. I think the comedy just alone, even if you don't understand the references, the comedy was on point. So he definitely enjoyed that. He definitely enjoyed the scenery of the film, the stuff that was going on, even the graphics at the beginning where the TV was eating everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. That caught him. You know, there was a few things I'm not going to like really nitpick, but I was laughing at some things like, for instance, there was a scene and only I would catch this where the kid gets like these jumper cables and trying to get more juice to power up his system to kind of jump into this satellite dish and be able to speak. And he connects the positive side first. He doesn't ground it. <laughs> With the negative, and I was like, "No!" <laughs> yeah, that, that whole scene with him uh, assembling the the radio was kind of like, okay. I mean, even without uh, you know paying attention to that myself, I was just kind of like, "Yeah." They they really just kind of phoned that one in, you know, as far as like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I would make. I thoroughly enjoyed the Salt and Pepper video. I remember this video. I remember that song. Um, kind of cheesy if you think about it, given the time. 
era, it was like they were trying to keep them alive, you know, and they did a whole music video, but fucking John Ritter's character <laughs> dressed as Prince dancing around. <laughs> Was fucking hilarious. I love that. And then uh, just the, the whole time he's like barely avoiding like, you know, at randomly like without even realizing it, you know, like Jeffrey Jones, like trying to kill him and all these instances. It's just, oh, yeah. And I, But I think I think the one thing that separates these two movies is the fact that there is some humor in it. Well, I mean, there's humor in the other one that's kind of universal, but it's more juvenile. But in this one, like if you're a, a horror fan, like there's legit humor in this that, that you'll get like the Meet the Mansons, the Exorcist, Exorcist or whatever. Like it's, you know. Yeah. There's like, you know, like even if you don't know the pop culture reference it's bouncing off of, if you, or I mean, you should know the horror movie that it's like, you know, at least, you know, Three Men and Rosemary's Baby, that sort of thing. I think that's why this one might, you know, like stand out a little bit better, at least amongst horror fans who tend to skew more as traditional and they, they watch older films versus, you know, just like yeah. general audiences. Well, shit, they even had a Star Trek scene. Oh, yeah. Legitimate. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. It's like the next generation, you know, like completely like they were making fun of that. Yeah. So they, there's definitely references that I think a lot of people would get. But I think more than anything, the comedy is something that they would get, you know? Yeah. and, and I don't know. It holds up. It's It's got legit comedy because, I mean, you really have like, you know, Eugene Levy's making, you know, jokes in it. I mean, you know, John Ritter and... And Pam Dauber, I mean, they're both, they come from a comedic background on the sitcoms they were from. I mean, the, the comedy stands up. It, yeah, it definitely does. So four out of five for me, four and a half out of five. I mean, we're right there at rigor mortis, uh, edging towards uh, certified fresh corpse. It held up really well for the time era. Also, you know, rest in peace to the character, John Ritter, or not character, but the actor, John Ritter, he died, I think, in 2010 is when he passed and away. And he was really young at the time. For I mean, I think he yeah, was like the early was. 50s at, at, you know, or something like that. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, so uh, oh, this was fun. I mean, overall, watching these two films, a nice refresher, a nice kind of palate cleanser, if you will, for all the scary movies, movies that we've been watching. Um, but there's more to come because we are not done with the season. Um is there anything else we're going to discuss before we move on? Um, I, as far as these movies, no. But I mean, if we're, you know, if, if we want to break into like some of the ones that, that I think next, I think we decided what was it, Needful Things is what we're going to discuss next. Oh, I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. I mean, if you're going to have any movies about the devil, of course, you've got to have the classic one where you willingly sell the devil your soul for some trinket that obviously is not going to work the way it's supposed to. And I mean, that's just a classic staple of the, you know, the, the devil's, you know, um, genre, if you will. And so, of course, we've got to cover needful things. Um, any, yeah, so that'll be up and coming here very soon now that we've got everything going with the, I mean, mostly with the webpage, with the Facebook group, and, of course, online um, on YouTube and all the podcast streaming services. I think it's going to be a lot easier now for people not only to find us, but to get to listen to your favorite shows. And, like I said, follow us in that group because you kind of get a good idea of our humor uh, what we like in horror, you know, kind of discussing here and there. Shoot, we had that exorcist meme that kind of explains one of our first shows. <laughs> and, and one of my favorite memes is the one about, you know, whenever you get really excited, but whenever you see a movie, it's based on true events. And of course, I had to throw that into the group <laughs> chat because of the house of the devil. You know, it was clearly bullshit that they threw that in there. But, you know, it's yeah, very bold of them to put that in there. But, you know. But yeah, just, I mean, you know, follow us, uh, comment, you know, we want to hear feedback, you know, what you like, what you dislike, you know, kind of, you know, tailor the show a bit more. But uh, yeah, it was it, this little bit of sorbet to kind of, you know, like change it up a little bit before we uh, move on to the next 
uh, item in the series. Absolutely. Well, I think we should call it. You think we're done with this? I think we are. So you got anything to plug before we get off of here? I mean, it's hard to plug because we used to plug for Blue Collar BS, but now we're kind of our own network now. And like I said, I don't want to take away from Blue Collar BS. That's where we started. You can catch, you know, some of our good shows there if you'd like. Some of our podcasts are still on there for Death Holler, but Death Holler is kind of on its own now. We have moved out of our mom's basement. <laughs> <laughs> We've left the bodies there, though, however, so you could still catch some of them we there. We moved out of the basement into the sewer where Pennywise and Absolutely. other creatures lurk, so... Yes, all of the dwelling there, so. Well, I guess with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit. If you enjoyed Episode 9, Part 2, the review of Stay Tuned and Repossessed, please look out for our next episode where we will have our Death Holler news and updates. Death Holler is brought to you by Los Diablos Blancos Network. And you can find Death Holler on Spotify, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Podcast. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.